Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. This is the word of the Lord. We are in a series that we use at the beginning of the year to refresh the values and vision of our church. We're a new church, and uh, we want to offer the gospel and the truth of the gospel and the hope of God's grace in a fresh way. Last week, I gave you a message out of this same passage called Of First Importance. It was really all, what is the gospel? And the gospel is a message, a news, a proclamation and of how God has offered redemption through the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is all in the first portion of this passage, okay? And today, we're going to talk look, look at the second half of this passage, the latter portion of this passage. And, the, and it's still actually the first value of our church. The first value of our church is that we are gospel-centered and grace-driven. Gospel-centered, grace-driven. Gospel, grace Grace, gospel, they absolutely go together. And so today's message is really about grace, the power of grace. Now, some of you are like, okay, I heard this a thousand times. Well, be happy to hear it a thousand and one times. And you should never get tired of it. I hope you never get tired of it, okay? And this is actually a rather extraordinary passage, and it's probably not often used to teach this lesson about grace. So let's get into it now, okay? All right, part one. Not I, but grace in me. Not I, but grace in me. That's how the Bible puts it, all right? Part two, the supreme sufficiency of grace in weakness. The supreme sufficiency of grace in weakness. It's especially in weakness that we learn grace. And that's why we need cycles of weakness so that we can learn the bigness of grace, right? Part three, seek first and taste grace. If you've been a Christian for quite some time, you know grace in your head. But grace is not just something that's supposed to be like a concept in your head. It must be tasted. It must be experienced. If I give you a piece of chocolate and says, this thing tastes really, really great, if you've never eaten it, you only know what it seems like in your head. This part three, I'm enticing you, seek first and taste grace, okay? Part one, um, let's, let's read this, la look at this last portion of this uh, passage, verse nine. So it's a, it's a strange passage, and it's the introduction of chapter 15, which is a big, big and important discussion about resurrection. And it's not just that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. It's about all who are believe in Jesus, how they are resurrected. 
And then he tells you that it's, this really happened. Jesus died, and then he was actually resurrected. And he tells you these strange things. 500 people saw him, this, this guy, that guy. And finally, Jesus appeared to me. You know, and he goes, I'm an apostle, but I was, it was kind of, I was out of, out of time. And what he means by that is this. When Jesus came back from the dead, all these other guys, Cephas, which is, who is, by the way, that's, that's Peter, right? And all these other people got to see him in person. But Paul isn't called by Jesus till later. Jesus is ascended. And then he gets to meet the ascended Jesus in, in a miraculous way after Jesus strikes him down off a horse, blinds him. But while he's blind, he speaks and he gets an encounter with Jesus. That's, what he, that's the reference there. And at that point, Paul is not Paul. Paul is Saul. Saul is a leader among the Jews, and he absolutely hates Christianity. Actually, that's not even called Christianity at this point. It's just called the movement of these Jesus people or whatever. And, and he hates them. And what he's doing is he sees them as a threat to the traditional Judaism that he knows. He's rounding them up, and he is getting them killed. He's getting them thrown into jails. I mean, he's doing everything he can to do violence and opposition to them. That's his place until Jesus basically knocks him off a horse and basically says, why do you, why, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the way Jesus puts it. It's reported in the book of Acts. So this is, all, this, is this, you know, this little portion that he's saying. Now let's get to verse 9. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So the apostles are the first authorized teachers of the gospel, the message of the gospel. And the gospel teaches the full culmination of all the meaning of the Bible and honestly of life. And so the apostles are the authorized teachers from Jesus. And they're the ones who ultimately give us the Bible and the church. And Paul is one of them, and he says, I'm not even worthy to be that, because I'm basically, I'm the worst, because I had evil things, evil, evil things, right? But then verse 10, listen to, this is the part I really want you to get today, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's just stop there for a moment. By the grace of God, I'm an apostle. That's what he's saying. I am an apostle. Not because I went to, had the, had the best teacher, which he did, by the way. Not because I'm a brilliant, you know, Roman citizen, which, by the way, he is. But for him, those things don't matter. If anything, there's another place where he basically says, these things are as garbage to me. All these things that he says, like, the world thinks are so great, I think they're garbage. And actually, in the, in, in the Bible, in, in, in Philippians, when it says that, that word garbage is actually not a good translation. The word is actually, this stuff is the stuff you float, flush down your toilet. <laughs> that's what he's saying. So, I want you to understand, that's how he thinks. Verse 10, by the grace of God, I'm an apostle. All right? He goes on. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So let's just say a little something about this. There's God's grace going to everyone who comes to faith in him. In fact, there's God's grace going out to people who don't even believe in him. They don't yet know that God is chasing them. They don't even yet know God has been good to them. But so often in our life, God has been good to us. He's been good to us. He's been good to us. And then we're ignoring it, throwing it away. You know, let, let, let me give an example. Um, your parents, they taught you something. They gave you great gifts. Like, um, let's just give an example. Like, when you were young, did your parents give you music, like piano lessons? <laughs> like, so I, I, I don't want my kids to feel bad about this, but it's, it's not just you guys. A lot of kids get piano lessons, okay? And they then go find a really good piano teacher, and then they spend a lot of money, and they don't even want you to be a concert pianist, okay? They don't ex even expect anything from you. You know what it is? It's just gift. Uh, I had a pastor friend of mine once asked me why I spend all this money to give piano lessons to my kids. 
And I said, I'd like them to serve Jesus with it, but that's actually not the real reason. The real reason is gift. That's it. So they can have music. So they can have music more than just hearing it. They can have music more than just going like, yeah, yeah, this band is cool. So they could produce the music. So they could play the music, right? Which is unbelievable. It's an unbelievable gift. So then what? what? Now, if you, you, maybe you did this or your, your parents, you know, you've experienced this. Your parents give you this great gift. And what do you do? No, <laughs> I'm not going to practice. I hate piano. <laughs> I hate piano. Not even just, I don't want to practice. I hate piano. All right? Or uh, I'll give you one that this will actually embarrass my kids. We take our kids to In-N-Out Burger for the first time. And you know what? Because Hudson didn't like lettuce. He saw lettuce in this hamburger, and he was like, no, I don't want to eat hamburger. And we had tried many, many times. We go to McDonald's, and he always chooses chicken nuggets, never hamburger. So finally, we were like, that's enough. It's enough of this stupidity. We're going to go to In-N-Out Burger. There is no chicken nuggets. You, must, you will eat the burger. You will eat it. And, and then, of course, his sisters, because they follow him, because they're dumb too, <laughs> they didn't want to eat the burger either. And we just went, oh my goodness. And you know what this is? This is like grace in vain. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> you give grace, you give grace, you give grace. I hate piano. <laughs> and you know what? And then what happens is these young people, then they become teenagers, and then they become adults. And then they're like 35 years old, and they hear this wonderful piano playing, and they sit there and go, why didn't I learn to play piano? <laughs> Some of you are like, that's not going to happen to me. Just wait. Because you just don't get it. You just don't get it. Grace is given to you, and you just don't get it. And at the time it's given to you, it's like it's given in vain. Okay? Okay? Because it's given, and then it's like this gift is like <laughs> wasted, okay? Because we're too dumb to receive. So I'm kind of like embarrassing my kids. But you're all Hudson, and God's grace is lettuce. Everybody's like that. You see something from God, and you're like, I don't like lettuce. And, he, and Jesus is probably going, okay, this is like the, the 20th time. Okay, so this is, the, this is where it's going on. Now let's get on. The, the passage goes on. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Not by how smart I am. Not by how many times I studied the Bible. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. That is the other apostles. That's, that's a pretty big boast. Just hold on for a second. Though it was not I but the grace of God that is in me. It was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. It's like a parenthetical phrase. He's got this point to make. He's got this point to make. And then go, wait, well, by the way, it wasn't me. <laughs> not me. Not me. Not I, but the grace of God in me. It is a, we are really strange. Human beings regularly, you know, whenever we, we, we live our life, you know who's the star of your life? You. <laughs> okay? There's a movie about Hudson. It would say starring Hudson. There's a movie about Susan, starring Susan. If it's a movie about you, is it about you? No. <laughs> Let me tell you, from the Bible's point of view, from the gospel's point of view, it's not about you. <laughs> not I, but the grace of God in me. There's so many things that you and I do, and we think, I did it. <laughs> but actually, Paul is not deluded. He gets it. Not I, 
but the grace of God in me. Now, I want to say one thing about grace. I'm going to give you a passage, and let's go to part two. Here's the thing I want to say about grace. What is it? <laughs> Some of you are like, what is grace? Doesn't everybody know what grace is? You know, if you did not grow up in church, you haven't heard this word a lot. But if you grew up in a good Bible-believing church, you've heard this word a lot. But I have noticed that if I, like, pin one of you down and say, hey, what, what, give me a definition of grace, you'd be like, this is embarrassing. I've heard this word a thousand times. And that's the Christian. That's the Christian. In a good gospel proclaiming church. So let me just give you a definition. In fact, I'm going to give you three definitions. And they're really all saying the same thing, but I'm just going to say it in three different ways because maybe the first one will hit you. Maybe the second one will hit you. Hopefully the third one will hit you. Okay? What is grace? It is unmerited favor and goodness. Unmerited. Unmerited. Okay? Nobody deserved it. But there's favor and goodness given to you, unmerited. That's one definition. Let's give me a second one. It is great goodness when you deserved condemnation, rejection, and death. So it's just, this is a little bit, a little bit of a, a tougher way of putting it. You actually earned wrath. You earned scorn. You earned hell. But what you got was heaven. How about that? You get heaven. You deserve hell. That's grace. Right? Third one. And I think this is often not often said, but I, I, this is the way I think of it, and I think it's absolutely true in the Bible. It is infinite, unbreaking, steadfast love and the gifts of love for those who don't deserve it. You know what grace is? It's a gigantic love. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, you see this word, grace, grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In the Old Testament, you know what word they use? Steadfast love. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast of the Lord is with us forever and ever. That's the Old Testament Hebraic way of saying grace. Steadfast love of the Lord. It's a love that never, ever, ever, ever breaks, even when you try to break it, even when you deserve to break it. Every other human being, if the person you're with is breaking love, breaking love, breaking love, doing evil things, lying, being total jerk, thinking about themselves all the time, you're like, I love you. They say, I love you. And then there's like the absolute incontrovertible proof. Oh my gosh, you don't love me. Oh my gosh, you only care about yourself. Oh my gosh, you are a horrible, hypocritical liar. That happens to you the first time. It hurts so bad. You know what you want to do? Pitch them out of their, your life. Okay, then you're like, okay, 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 I'm a Christian. I got to try to forgive them. You forgive them. Then they do it again a second time, the third time, the fourth time, it's divorce time. <laughs> the fifth time, it's like murderous thoughts time. You're like, divorce? I want to kill this person. That's human. But God, steadfast love never breaks. Never breaks. We deserve hell. It never breaks. That's grace. Okay? I want to take you to a passage that tells you what grace has done in Paul. Okay? Here is this passage. Paul makes this crazy statement. I was actually, I've done even more than these other guys. I mean, it's kind of a, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> it says, imagine if a pastor showed up here and says, by the way, I was a better pastor than these other guys. <laughs> you're like, what the heck? Is, what's wrong with this guy? <laughs> so hopefully I'll never, ever say that. And if I do, then, you know, you will have good elders and they'll come up to me and you're like, yeah, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> right? But it's crazy. In the Bible, God actually puts it in the Bible. But I want to show you what it looks like. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. I don't know if it's going to go up, so you might want to look it up. Okay? I think I've been told it's not going to go up. 
So you actually have to look it up if you want to follow. But, or you can just listen. Now, quickly let me say something about 2 Corinthians. It's a defense of Paul as an apostle. People are basically, you're not a real apostle. You're not a real pastor. We don't like you. So it's a defense of the way Paul understands the gospel. It's an unbelievably deep book. It's an unbelievably radically deep book. And so let me take you to this portion. All right. Actually, it's not verse 7. No, wait, I'm looking at the wrong one. It's not verse 7. 2 Corinthians 11. We're going to get to the chapter 12 next. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 21. So go back one chapter. Okay? So here's what Paul is saying. He's doing something that he calls being a madman. I'm being a madman here. And you know what he's doing? He's boasting. He's boasting about what kind, what he has been like as an apostle. And here's what you understand. This was an evil guy. This was a man with unbelievable, absolute, like impregnable self-righteousness, enough to get other people killed. And this is what he became, okay? Verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool now. I'm being a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring from Abraham? So am I. <laughs> He's like saying, so if you want to boast of being Jewish, I'm as Jewish as it gets. Verse 23. Now it gets deeper. Are they servants of Christ? Listen to this. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. He is. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. This is what Paul is like now. Verse 24. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The 40 lashes less one. You know what that means? So when the Romans and the Jews whipped somebody, they whipped them 39 times. I don't exactly know why it's 39. Probably because when you start the 40, 41, they would die. It's like the limits of human endurance. And they don't just take a whip and like whack you in the back. This whip, this whip has like glass shards and horrible things on it. And they whip you basically probably to the edge of human endurance. He's had this done five times. So just imagine, this is a man, if you looked at his back, it would look horrible. Verse 25. Three times I've been beaten with rods, which was probably <laughs> relatively easier to deal with than the whipping. Once I was stoned. That's, that story's in the Bible too. They stoned him, and they thought he was dead, and then he got up. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, <laughs> danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, Christians who are fake. They're trying to get me killed. All right? In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Our sister Christy prayed that we would live not for comfort. This guy did not live for comfort, did he? He lived for something more. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. I, I, I think about that passage all the time. Because I'm a pastor, and I have my daily anxiety for my church, which is for you. I don't know if you know that. I have a daily anxiety for you. So does Young. So does Joe. We have a daily anxiety. That's one church. This guy has a daily anxiety for all the churches. All right? Verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? Just stop for a moment. Not I, but grace in me. 
How can any human being endure all these things? How can any human being do it willingly? How can any human being have just tremendous joy? Paul is a joyful man. He's hated by Jews. He's hated by fake Christians. He's hungry and cold and in prison, been prisoned multiple times. And he is a joyful man. Not I, but grace in me. Are you interested? You want to live a life like that? You can take on anything. You can take, you can take on anything and have power and grace because of grace. Let's go to part two. The supreme sufficiency of grace in weakness. The supreme sufficiency of grace in weakness. I want to make a, a comment here. Grace is always there for you from God through Jesus. Oftentimes we're, you know, we're like, I hate piano. <laughs> so it's like grace in vain. Don't feel too guilty from it. A lot of grace given to God, we're just burning it away, wasting it. We're like that. You're like, oh, pastor, you're a pastor. You're like, like a more holy person. That's why you're pure. That's why you do this. Do you know how many times I have made the grace of God in vain? Long before I was ever your pastor, even while I have been a pastor? You know, I never get offended if you fall asleep on my sermon. Because <laughs> you know how many pastors I've slept on? <laughs> you probably have slept on me far less than I've slept on other pastors. So I, here I am, just like Hudson. I hate lettuce. I'm sleeping. And I grew up in a godly Christian family. I know my theology. I know my Bible. A lot of grace in vain. But God's grace never stops. It keeps going. But here's the only accept thing. God's grace is coming at us, and it often feels like it's in vain. Why? Because you and I just don't see it. You don't feel it. And we always underestimate the bigness of grace. We always just, it's not that big. <laughs> it's just big in my head. It's a thought. It doesn't feel big. The sure neck doesn't feel big. You don't actually feel that God's love for you is absolutely gigantic. You just think it's gigantic because you're supposed to because as a Christian, you're supposed to believe in that because that's like how Pharisees operate, okay? Pharisees go, oh, okay, that's the right doctrine. I'll just try to do my best, which is legalism. I've got to do my best because you know, I'm supposed to. Legalism. And the grace inside is weak. But let me tell you why we're like this. Why you're like this is because you have strength and capability. Because you're smart. Because you're healthy. Because you have good education. Whenever you need something in life, you know what you do? You go and take care of it. Here's what we do. If you have a headache, you know what somebody else tells you to do? Go get aspirin. <laughs> because we invent an aspirin. And we have it. And if you don't have it, you're dumb. You should go and buy it. And if you don't go buy it, then that's your problem. Because you have strength and capability. Go get it. It's not expensive. Go get it. That's, what, that's how we think. And you know what? This is how we think about everything. <laughs> about everything. So if you are capable and have strength to take care of everything, you know what? Grace is not that important, is it? <laughs> but you know where you, we begin to feel grace? When we get to see it, it's when you are not strong. When you're not strong. When you can't fix it. This is why Jesus says the prostitutes are going to end up in the kingdom before you. He says, he looks at all these like, these Bible knowledge guys called the Pharisees, they know the Bible inside out. They never miss synagogue. And he looks them straight in the face and says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you. And these guys get like enraged. They get so mad. Because like, you know these dirt, these like the, the worst people in our society? Yeah, they're going to enter the kingdom of God before you. You know why? 
Because in their life, they don't have strength. They don't have capability. They suck and they know it. They know it. They know that before God, they deserve to go to hell. I have earned hell. Grace? What's grace? I'm going to go to hell. Right? I'm going to go to hell. Let's just try to make the best of it till I end up there. When we are in weakness, oh man, that's when grace starts to come alive. And when we are in weakness, that's when you're going to really pay attention to the message of grace. Let me take you to a passage. This is now 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is the next so. This discourse that I started reading for you in 2 Corinthians 11, it continues. It's a really deep and unbelievable discourse. Paul just keeps going on. He just keeps saying unbelievably profound things. And then he gets to this. I'm just kind of hitting you toward the back end of it. So I challenge you. Go home, read it. Chapter 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians. But let's just catch this, the, la- the latter portion here, okay? Verse 7 of chapter 12, all right? So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Just stop for a moment. He got a vision. And he says that there are things that no no human beings should be allowed to see. Like it's like a, he calls it, I saw like the seventh heaven. It's, It's really mysterious. He got a vision and you and I have never seen. But he sees that if you have like, some kind of like the secret knowledge, some access to something that's so much more superior to everybody else. And that's what he has had. He's, he's had access to something superior to what than anybody else. He saw that there's a danger, and that is conceit. He saw that there's a real danger that. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So this is really interesting. Something from Satan, God said, yeah, let's send it to Paul. Just think about that for a second. It's something from the pits of hell, and God allows it. And God allows it because it's useful for grace. <laughs> to keep you from getting conceited. Whatever keeps you from being conceited, even if it's evil, from God, it's useful for grace. Okay? I know, you're like, whoa. Did you just say that? Look, let me say it one more, one more time. <laughs> if it keeps you from getting conceited, even if it's evil from hell, it is good. It could be good through grace. Crazy, isn't it? Verse 8, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Now, people don't quite know what this thorn in the flesh was. Some people have um, thought that it's, a, it's an illness. All right? Some kind of sickness. Some people have um, speculated that he had some kind of problem with his eyes, and he need, and it really it really afflicted him, right? But three times Paul prayed, "Please, please, please take this away from me." And I, I mean, how how can that not be a reasonable prayer? It is a messenger from Satan. <laughs> that's an, that's as reasonable as prayer I can get. A messenger from Satan, please take it away. Please take it away. Remember Jesus? I asked you two other times before. This is the third time. Didn't you hear me the other two times? Please take it away. Here's this. Here's this. Here's the verse I want you to get. Verse 9. But he said to me, this is the Lord's answer. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Let me say it again. My grace is sufficient for you. 
For my power is made perfect in weakness. This uh, sentence is like a life sentence for, for grace. It's like one of our favorite verses in the Bible. It's one of mine too. For me and grace, this is uh, as golden as anything in the Bible. And then he goes on to say this thing that's actually absolutely insane. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses. I'm content. I'm content with weakness. I'm okay if I'm poor. I'm okay if I'm sick. I'm okay if I can't do that. I'm okay if I can't, I can't. I'm okay if this thing afflicts me in my life and I can't overcome it. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know how this can be true? Because grace is real. Absolutely real. And if you will taste grace, if you will go to grace, if you will trust in grace, if you will chase grace, you will find this out. You will learn this. You'll discover this. And it will change you. It will absolutely change you. There is a method to the madness to the way Pastor Young and I lead this church. Some of you are wondering, like, why don't we just get these elders, you know, like, we should get our elders and get on with it. Because the goal is not only get elders. The goal is that we would learn patience. The goal is we want you to love our elders, <laughs> not just get elders. The goal is to do extra work so that there's more. But here's the other thing. And there's a method to the madness of this church. I once told a brother in this church, I'm a, I'm a grace radical. I hope every pastor you meet really believes in grace. If they don't, <laughs> I hope the Lord kicks them out of their job soon and very soon. Okay? No pastor really believes in, doesn't believe in grace, preach grace. He don't deserve to be a pastor. But I am willing to bank the whole future of this church on grace. I'm not interested in building this church on how smart Susang is, how capable Young is, how awesome Joe is, how great our elders are, how great our band is, how much money we got, what the perfect location we have. Whatever the world thinks, we need X, Y, Z, and they can do it. If the world can do it, and the world can do it with our strength and our power, and we build our church this way, I'm actually not interested in that. Yeah, we got to have good preaching. Yeah, we need you to give your money. Yeah, we need you to contribute and serve. All those things, true, 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 true. Of course, that's fine. But what I'm really interested in is, can grace change you? Can grace make you like Paul? We all walk into and meet God like Saul. We want to kill Jesus. We're not interested in Christianity. We might even hate the real gospel. We care about money more than Jesus. We care about me more than Jesus. We care about our strength more than grace. What I'm really, really interested is to find out, can grace make you and me like Paul? We are all Saul's. But some of you will become like Paul. I believe that down to the bottom of this. That's, why I want, that's, what I want the, that's what the church is for. The church is so that grace can change you from Saul to Paul. That's what it's for. And you can take on anything. Then you will start to understand grace, not me, not I, but grace in me. You will start to live your life with that motto. Not I, but grace in me. I want to close this message by, I don't usually do this, okay? I don't usually close this message with like a, 
a command from Jesus. Because, you know, grace messages are, are supposed to give you a big news and not a to-do. But I'm actually going to give you a command from Jesus. Because I think that command is grace. You know the verse, at least most of you do. Matthew 6, 33. And it goes like this. Seek first the kingdom of God. It's coming right out of the mouth of Jesus. And his righteousness, not yours. Seek first the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Susan. All right? Not the kingdom of John. Not the kingdom of Hudson. <laughs> Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You know what he means by all these things? All the stuff you need. You need money. You need purpose. Anything you need to fulfill my purposes for you. You need money to live life. All these things will be added to you. That's the promise. When I was a kid, we sang the song. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It's like out of the King James. That's what seek ye first, you know. And all these things shall be added unto you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm so thankful for that song. It's a little hokey. The music is okay. And it's out of the King James. It's a little hokey. But because of that song, that command's been in my heart since I was a boy. And let me, I want to redirect the way you think about this command. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you, inside of seeking him first and his righteousness, you know what you will experience you know what you will taste? It is grace. You want to know how you get more and more grace? You do more and more obedience. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> oh, more and more obedience. Dude, that sounds crazy. You just want me to do more stuff. God doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need you. He never needs you. <laughs> So if he says do something, you know what he's trying to do? Give you something. You understand? Seek kingdom of God first, not your righteousness. I have so much to give you. <laughs> I have so much to give you. That's what that verse is saying. It's a big grace verse. And you know why Paul knows without a shadow of doubt in his mind, not I, but grace in me? Because this guy obeys. Man, he obeyed and he got killed for it. He got whipped, imprisoned, rejected, and loved. Oh boy, did the fellow Christians love him. And he was ultimately beheaded and was killed. He learned big grace because he sought the kingdom of God first and not his righteousness. Now let me close with the story because you need some kind of good story if it's helpful to you, okay? Pastor, I'm not Paul. You're crazy if you think I'm going to become Paul. I'm definitely like Saul. <laughs> I'm definitely like Saul and the pathway for me, my Saul version, to get to Paul version is I had no idea how that's going to happen. Some of you, that's how you think. And some of you think of Paul as like a superhero from the Bible. He's a superhero. And then we have like superheroes in the Bible. And then you have like some other guys who are sort of kind of like superheroes today. We call them missionaries, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and we call them like maybe the pastor is kind of more super than us. He's not quite a superhero, but he's definitely more super than me. And you don't actually believe that you have a Paul in you. So I'm going to give you an example that you cannot deny because it's like somebody in this church and you know him. And it's going to embarrass him, but I'll just tell the story anyway, okay? Because whatever, it's, that's his problem. <laughs> don't worry, I don't normally do that because I just know it won't embarrass him. Well, he'll embarrass him, but he'll know it's needed. So I forget what year it was. It was like maybe like eight years ago. We go to Native American Mission in Bishop Paiute Reservation. There's a guy on this trip 
he's never been before. You know him. His name is Damon. Okay? He's never not only been a bishop before, he's never been on a mission trip before. He's never, ever been on a mission trip. I don't know why he signed up for this. You know why he signed up for this? Because it was grace. Not I, but grace. He probably said, that sounds like fun. That sounds interesting. I'll sign up. <laughs> then he goes to the training. Then he comes. has no idea what to expect on a poor Native American reservation. Back then, the team would go for a whole week, but you have the option to go for half a week. You, you leave on a Sunday. You come back on a Thursday. Second team would go on a Wednesday. They come back like Sunday, something like that. So Damon was in the first half team. So I'm having this conversation with him. I don't really know Damon very well. He's not in my congregation. You know, we were, this is New Hope. And I was the English congregation pastor. And Damon was on the Korean side. So I don't really know him, okay? I know him really well now, but I didn't really know him very well back then. So here's this guy. I'm leading the team. So I'm talking to this guy who's on my team who I don't really, really know. And this is like Wednesday night before he leaves the next day. And this is what he said. I remember this like it was yesterday. Okay, I remember this like it was yesterday. He said this. He says, you know, when you go on vacation, everything is wonderful. The hotel is wonderful. The scenery is wonderful. You eat like fancy food. It's so much fun and cool and exciting at the beginning. And then a week later, it's boring. That's what he said. Something like that. And then instead of boring, you're like, okay, we've done that. Let's go home now. You're ready to go home. At the beginning of vacation, it's so cool. At the end of vacation, it's boring. Let's go home. And he says, but this is really interesting, Pastor. You go on a mission trip, and you have no idea what's going on. You're like confused. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. We're sleeping on like the floor. We're eating all this like strange food. You're meeting, like you, you don't understand anything about this context. And it's like difficult and confusing at the beginning. But a few days later, it's getting more and more fun and more and more exciting. This gets like actually more exciting. That's what he said. And I remember listening to that going like, say that again? <laughs> I, 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 I tried to pretend like I was, like, like I was normal. I was like, oh, okay, Damon. Inside going like, this dude is crazy. <laughs> He's crazy graced. Now, you guys don't know Damon as well as I do. I discipled Damon for three years. I know him really, really well. He has like spilled out all his deep dirt so one of these days, if you want to get close to Damon, you should ask him, can you tell me about the Saul version of you? Oh, man. <laughs> I assure you, this dude was a pagan and a half. <laughs> what it means to be a pagan, he was like getting an A-plus on paganism. Intensely worldly. He goes to a mission trip because he's curious. <laughs> curious. And Jesus lit him up. And then he's like, i got to go back to this. He goes home. He talks about Bishop so much, he drives his wife kind of nuts. <laughs> so that she's like, I'll sign up. Okay, we will sign up. <laughs> the following year, she signs up, and they sign up for the whole week. They bring their little kids, even though like all her friends inside the Korean-speaking congregation think she's nuts because she's bringing little kids onto a difficult, poverty-stricken reservation. Of course, it's very sensible. It's, it's a hot place. It's poor. It's really difficult. Why would you bring your little kids? That's sensible. But because her husband was so excited, she better just like, let's go try it. And then they changed. <laughs> they changed. Damon and Joy are crazy. They take vacations in Bishop, okay? <laughs> right? <laughs> they go and skiing at Mammoth's so they can hang out in Bishop for fun. Not I, but grace in me. You can become like that too. If you will seek first and taste grace. Okay? 
You're like, I do a lot of things for Jesus. I don't taste grace. Just, just keep doing stuff for Jesus. <laughs> just keep doing stuff for Jesus. And don't get entitled and thinking, I do stuff for Jesus. How come he don't take Okay, okay, don't do that. <laughs> right? Don't do that. Don't do that. And when you feel yourself getting like that, just say, Jesus, could you please grace me? I don't get it. I'm really, really dumb. I don't get it. I still think you're lettuce. Can you please grace me? I dare you to pray that. I dare you. I dare you to pray that. And then seek first. You will taste grace. Let's pray. Lord, we read these things about this guy in the Bible who wrote 13 out of 27 books of the New Testament. And um, it seems impossible to most of us that we could become so changed. But that is the promise of your gospel. That is your promise. And we are so captured by this world. We're so anxious for the good things of the world. And we're so trying to control life so we can get all these little pathetic little good things that the world promises. And thus, we really often shake our fist and reject the good things from grace. We're so blind and foolish. It is amazing to me that you do not reject us. It is amazing to me that you do not burn us as we deserve. So many times in my life, I know that you should burn me. But you have not. Every time I think you think I should, okay, here's where the heavy hand of God's going to come down on my head. I'm going to really get it. Instead, there is grace. How can that be? Because you, Lord Jesus, you have gone to hell and back. You have laid down your life so that Saul's can become Paul. So that intensely worldly people like us, like Damon, could be so filled up with grace that we could run and start to live the life of adventure. The life of adventure. To seek you first. And taste grace. We pray in 2022, Lord, revive would be a church overflowing with grace. I pray for everyone who's listening to this message, whether they are here in San Jose or they're somewhere else listening to this on live stream or on the YouTube or on our podcast or whatever, you would explode grace into their life so that they could see it. You're always giving them grace, but help their blind eyes see and their hard hearts receive the vast greatness of their grace. Do what you need to do to break our hard hearts so we become new in you. Thank you for loving us like this in Jesus' name. Amen.